Give it up, baby. I've studied all your moves. Yeah, study this! <laughs> What's good, everybody? Welcome to the Forbidden Technique podcast on the Fight Site Podcast Network. Myself, your host, Silas Martin, my co-host, as always, Christian Reynolds. And today we are uh, just going to be taking a look at um, what I believe is the first UFC fight card of 2023. I don't think any fights happened last weekend. I mean, Superbon got knocked the absolute fuck out by Chingas Alizov. That was a fantastic performance, but uh, no uh, MMA of note to recap. So we got... UFC 283, we're back in Brazil. We got Glover Teixeira versus Jamal Hill in the main event for the once again vacant light heavyweight title after Magomed Ankalaev went to a draw with Jan Blahovic and Dana White was so uh, offended by that fight that he immediately just went and booked another one. So we're here, we, uh, Glover Teixeira is fighting Jamal Hill. How's Jamal Hill's takedown defense looking? Obvious first question. Uh, I think it's all right. It is okay. I think a lot of the adjustments that he's probably going to make uh, are going to be like the classic MMA fighter thing to do. Uh, where he just like keeps his hips back too much and gets clanged with hooks now. Yeah, could definitely see it because he really hasn't fought any particularly high-quality wrestlers, because there aren't any in the light heavyweight division until you get to Glover Tashira. Like, who's the second-best wrestler at light heavyweight? Uh, I guess Magomed Ankalaev, when he decides to do it. Or, like, Paul Craig. Uh, I guess it has to be, like, Nikita Krylov. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Not a great showing for the quality of wrestling in this division. Of course, he knocked the absolute shit out of Jimmy Crute before that had any chance to get to the ground, and he just like will just like gleefully leapt into Paul Craig's guard and let him rip his arm off. So that that's about the extent of the data we have on Jamal Hill actually on the ground. He did like get taken down a bunch by uh, old Tiago Santos. Not exactly known for his wrestling, offensively or otherwise. Um but still is a very explosive and has fantastic timing and like caught Jamal Hill off off guard with some good reactive shots and mostly wasn't able to convert them into any meaningful ground control because Jamal Hill would just wall walk. Like you said, his takedown defense is okay. He, he's got a good underhook and a sprawl and he can wall walk. Um, Tiago Santos, as much as he can time a good shot, no, nowhere near the like top control or positional grappler of Glover Teixeira, and even if he's able to time good shots on you, he's unlikely to like uh, unlikely to take you down immediately into good positions and then be able to hold you there and and convert them into meaningful control or offense on the ground. So it's just like uh, it basically, it's just like is Glover Teixeira too old to just get the easy win? Yeah, I. I think that he's not too old for it. I think that he's probably going to have a good deal of success with Jamal Hill's particular uh, 
intricacies when it comes to his defense. He likes leaning back, and leaning back opens you up to being taken down. Uh, and then also, he's probably going to be hunching forward a lot more in this fight, just to negate the wrestling threat, but then he's in range to be just getting hooked all the time. No, Jamal Hill, he's he knows what he's doing. He, he, he can do a few things just fine, and he's pretty fucking athletic and has a motherfucker of a chin. Um, and, you know, he tends to be like a pressuring, aggressive counterpuncher. Routinely relies on just eating shit and staying in an exchange and punching the other guy back harder. He, he can stay calm in an exchange and just time good, powerful, accurate counter shots. He's fast. Oh, yeah, but, um, he, yeah, he basically doesn't have defense. Glover Tashir is like a, a, a pr- pretty good boxer at this point. And he'll, he'll ding you if you've got no defense. Yeah, I think the issue for Glover in the fight is if a takedown gets defended and he ends up in the clinch and he can't uh, kind of bully Jamal from trying to get clinch offense off. Yeah, that's the other thing about Jamal Hill. He's got good short clinch offense. He, he He's good at landing knees from there. He's also, I mean, he, he has like, good enough balance. I don't think he's just going to be taken down at will, but I th- I think it is going to be kind of annoying for him that he's going to have to sacrifice his defense for taking on defense. I mean, maybe he'll surprise me and he'll just be able to fucking fight his normal style and limp like everything that comes at him and like sprawl on him. No problem with great reactions, but it just feels like a tough ask for someone that we haven't seen do that. He's all about just that, just dig an underhook and knee the guy in the body really hard, and if you get taken down, just try to wall walk real quick. Yeah, Glover's got the the craft to where he can kind of navigate past someone that has a very, like, one way to to do something defense. Yeah, it's a, a effective, but pre, pretty rudimentary, and, like, Glover Tashira just has, has a good range of ways that he can take you down, and, as I say, is good at putting you in good positions when it hits the ground yeah he, he just like eat the knee and grab your leg or kind of sidestep a little bit and then like you're flinging your own balance backwards and then he takes you down like the amount of near fight ending positions that jerry prohouska was put in and just had to like athlete his way out of not not that jamal hill can't do a good bit of that i just um you know something else about that tiago santos fight is that um, Tiago actually started getting more success um, about getting positions off of the takedowns and sustaining them as the fight was going on because it was just a crazy war where they both got dinged a bunch and threw a lot at uh, full power. And Tiago Santos will gas out and he'll eventually fall apart off of the back foot because his game relies around this like extremely movement heavy and explosive counter based style that's just not really sustainable for him to actually do over five rounds against someone who just keeps walking him down and punching him. Yeah, I think it's really difficult for Jamal if he can't get up really quickly in the first couple rounds. Yeah, and so if Jamal Hill either just gets all of his pressure negated because he gets taken down whenever they clash or just immediately concedes the back foot because he's so worried about a takedown threat which i i, I don't think is going to be i don't think is likely i think jamal hill's very like you know he knows what he's doing and he's hard to put off it but um as i say if the tie-ups aren't going his way and he just keeps getting taken down and does get put on the back foot i just 
not entirely sure how his game is going to function moving backwards. I feel like if Glover's able to get any kind of wrestling success, as soon as he does, the fight is going to like snowball in his favor a good bit. And I don't necessarily think it's a case where if like he gets a couple of takedowns defended early, then that's just it it's done so because glove is extremely persistent and has shown to been able to hold up more over over a five-round war yeah i think the fact that he is so persistent makes it to where jamal really needs the first couple rounds to to stay on the feet mostly uh in particular it just being on the feet isn't enough for him to automatically win especially if he's over committing to defending takedowns but I, I think he just more so needs to be able to wrestle than to be able to defend takedowns in this fight, and that is one uh, a lane where we know that he's not that good. Like, you can defend several takedowns, but you're eventually going to have to wrestle with him, uh, or with Glover, so it's difficult for him if he can't keep Glover off enough in the early rounds to kind of wear him down with offense, because, you know, Anthony Smith was beating the absolute fucking piss shit out of Glover Teixeira in the early part of the fight, and then he started getting tuned up as uh, Smith got tired and broke. And Jamal Hill, uh, he <coughs> hasn't had a history of breaking at all. No, and I don't expect him to fall apart from his own success, but Glover Tashira has a way of doing that to a man. Yeah, and even then it's like, he it doesn't even really have to fall apart from his success. He could just have too much success at one point and then follow Glover to the ground thinking he's done. Then Glover just comes up on a single, turns it into like half guard, then sweeps him. And then suddenly he's on his back and it's like, what, what? He, he he was he was dead a second ago. Now he's somehow converted this into a fight-winning situation. I think Glover is not reliable enough at staying on someone early if he gets a takedown for me to really expect him to just blow through Hill. I think that no matter what, it's going to be kind of a hard-fought fight for either guy. Yeah, because there is also the fact that Glover is 3,000 years old and has been poised to just fall off a cliff for a minute and just keeps looking like Glover Teixeira. Yeah, and he's coming off a loss where he he kind of got pace bullied. Uh, admittedly by the the biggest pace bully in the fucking division. Yeah, and who he went with and was kind of winning against. Until, like, what, the last minute of that fight? Yeah, and, and he got submitted in the most... Amanda Nunez way possible like he, he was just exhausted like dog shit tired and then someone kind of just like put their arms in I just I don't I don't expect Jamal Hill to be able to do that and unless no. he just dings Glover really hard really early and Glover just has to fight from too much of a deficit at this point yeah and Jamal Hill hits hard enough to where I could actually expect him to just hit uh, Glover hard enough early that the fight's altered for the rest of it like, it could be if he rocks him once, then Glover's just going to be kind of out of the fight on the feet and really need the grappling the entire time. It, that gets more and more likely as, as someone's career goes on, and he didn't get hit in the Jiri fight as much as you would expect him to based off how old he is, but he did eventually lose it, so it's hard to not kind of keep it as a knock on him against someone that's very young with Jamal Hill. Yeah, and, you know, he still has had... Like the Rumble Johnson fight where he just gets annihilated in like 10 seconds. And it's still just a thing that could happen. So I think it's an in- interesting fight. I am going to pick Glover to just like get the takedown uh, reliably enough to actually wear down Hill. And then if he stays on him for 
three or four minutes of the the first few rounds, I think that Hill's gonna get his abs- absolute shit kicked in in the fourth and fifth. I see this fight kind of similarly to the Anthony Smith fight matchup wise, except where Anthony Smith would have way more upside to being able to knock someone out in the early rounds. Yeah, I think I'm feeling Glover by like a, like a fourth round of rear naked choke. I, I kind of think second round maybe. Like it, it might not take that long for him to be able to get to a position where you can just choke him with ground and pound. Like he just ground and pound straight out and then gets but, in the choke. Yeah, because the thing is, the first couple of rounds are going to be dicey for him. But if Glover starts just getting the scrambles he needs, he really could just suddenly win the fight out of nowhere. The thing that he's done so many times. Yeah, he doesn't need to attrition. Not necessarily. It's just I, I expect Jamal Hill to just be like prepared and athletic enough for the couple of things that you know Glover Tashir is going to do for like the first two rounds to where it's going to be dicey, but he's really going to be having to mind his shit. And I, I just don't know that we've seen the the depth from Jamal Hill to be able to like consistently keep Glover off him while just shutting him out on the feet or, or or the kind of like more like flighty high mobility style that has been a problem for Glover Teixeira in the past. Like I think Jamal Hill just like wanting to pressure and have exchanges with Glover is probably just going to favor him because Glover can also probably just win a bunch of those exchanges on the feet. Like he's going to, he's going to ding Jamal Hill at some point. It's just Jamal Hill has a ridiculous chin. And it's just going to be giving Glover so many so many more opportunities to hit reactive takedowns. Yeah, and Hill's very plotting. Like, he's not a super mobile fighter. I wouldn't be that surprised if he just uh, keeps going for, like, check hook counters and gets it ducked under and then ends up in a bad position or gets his back taken. Like, I, I can see so many tactical things that could be just hell for Hill. And I think overall the tactics battle in this fight leans heavily towards Glover. Like, most of what Jamal Hill always does kind of plays into Glover's countering game. Jamal Hill, like, he'll throw an uppercut, but it's not really, like, a thing. He, It's not, like, his thing. Yeah, but, you know, he'll, he'll probably come in with an uppercut. Yeah. <clears throat> but he's not much of, like, a front kicker. He hits the body, but mostly in the clinch, uh, or with, like, straights. Which, the straight to the body could do a lot for him. Uh, I think the jabbing battle is going to be about neutral, if, uh, but I think Jamal's is going to be doing a lot more work for attrition. I think that uh, Glover's going to do a lot more work to set up takedowns by getting Jamal to try and counter it. So the jabbing battle will be like somewhat fun uh, if they end up actually jabbing. It could just be they're, they're too put off by, from uh, exchanging in that range to actually do that. It could just be either they're in range and Glover's throwing hooks and Jamal's trying to kill him. Or uh, anytime they get close, Glover's just trying to take him down. But then in the the co-main, we have Davison Figueroa versus Brandon Moreno. Four? Yeah, four. In a, in a fight that's gonna make uh, the main event look like it's going fucking half speed. Always strange whenever they do like the lowest weight class and then one of the highest weight classes back to back on a on a main card. But uh, yeah, so it's the fourth fight to see if. Uh, either guy can get a two in the in the trilogy or in the quadrilogy. One, one, and one. Uh, yeah. So if someone mind. gets a win, I think I was one of the rare people that didn't mind the draw so much in the first one. I also did not mind it. 
And I think in the third fight, uh, it was just pretty clear, Fig. It was still a competitive fight. Like, Moreno's the only one who's had a complete shutout uh, out of the out of the three fights, uh, in, in my eyes. And again, it is a weird kind of, like, arc that this fight series has had. And very unusual for us to get a fourth fight between two fighters. I mean, for this to happen in MMA at all let alone for uh, either of them to be anywhere near their prime. I mean, Davis and Figueredo, there's been concern, some concerns that he's probably getting up there and that the weight cuts have been getting to him, particularly just from how he showed up in that second Moreno fight. But yeah, it's cool. Uh, I, I wouldn't have minded see, seeing either of these guys fight Pantoja again at some point, but I, I think it's a shame that we don't get more uh, extended series between really great fighters in their prime who match up really well in the way that we do in other combat sports. So I'm down for it, even if it's basically just here because the UFC are like, oh my god, can we just can we just keep running this back until we 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 got Moreno champ again? Yeah, it seems like they they want either Moreno champ or they want someone to win twice, but they they just refuse to have someone actually uh, concrete win it because a lot of people thought the first fight was a robbery, then the second fight Moreno wins, and they have to do the trilogy, then the trilogy like Fig wins, but it's not by finish, and it's still a competitive fight. So it's like, what do you really do? There's not, like, you can give Pantoja a title shot, but people, there's still enough interest to see Moreno, and no one really gives a shit about Pantoja uh, when it comes to fans. Like, we want to see Pantoja fight either guy, but uh, we don't matter. Yeah, as I say, it's uh, an interesting kind of arc that the series has had, where the first fight was made on, what, three weeks' notice when both guys had fought on the previous pay-per-view, and they just needed to make a fight real quick. So they both stepped in, kind of clearly didn't have much room for preparation and just kind of fell it out. That's like a, a kind of a banger where Fig did uh, kind of beat the shit out of Moreno for large portions of the fight, but where Moreno still had at least one very clear round and was in the fight kind of throughout, and you could see like stumbling upon tactical reads as the fight was playing out. That he just obviously hadn't had time to actually build on build any kind of specific preparation for, and then the fight goes to a draw because there was a point deduction where Moreno got absolutely savagely kicked in the nuts, like one of the most brutal nut kicks you'll ever see. And again, people got mad about that because he hadn't done the nut kick before, but I'm sure he fouled like several times in that fight. And there's a point where a foul like clearly has such a significant impact on a fight that you still you just you just got to take a point anyway. So I didn't yeah, really the, have a problem with it. Um, the first fight, most of uh, Figueroa's grappling defense was just fouling. Yeah, I, I think the grappling dynamic across the trilogy has been probably the most interesting aspect, even though most of it's been contested on the feet. Because the first fight, it was pretty much just cheating that stopped him from getting. Uh, grappled at any point. Uh, Moreno got some positions on the ground, and then he would just get eye gouged, and then uh, Figo would use that as leverage, or you know, a cage grab. Then the second fight, Moreno kind of adjusts to that and doesn't really give him the opportunities to cheat as much. Yeah, w- w- was this the one where Moreno, like, he specifically adjusted how he was finishing his body lock takedowns so that Fig couldn't just defend by grabbing the cage in the second fight? <laughs> Yeah, he like went with the angle that he would grab with. I, I if I remember correctly, it was a underhand grab. Uh, so he sagged him in a, a different way, so to actually like 
undo it or no it might have been overhand something like that he he changed the angle that he lifted him uh to finish the takedown uh as i said he had all of these kind of like he kept kind of accidentally finding the body lock whenever whenever he would crash into fig in the first fight i, I think he'd be just trying to stand his ground and he'd be like oh fuck i'll just grab onto the guy and then he would just take him down really easily by accident and then not really and then not really do much with it or or just as you say immediately get fouled <laughs> Um, but yeah, then it seemed like in the second fight, it definitely did look like a particularly uh, kind of flat and gun-shy Davison Figueredo, but also Brandon Moreno just did everything right and built upon everything that he kind of figured out and that worked for him to different extents in the first fight and um, just kind of dog-walked Fig from range with jabs and and then fucked him up and submitted him. Yeah, the the second fight, he adjusted to a lot of what Fig was doing on the ground and he just limited the exchanges enough and it seemed like Fig... Weight drained could be part of it. Uh, like his chin, he got dropped by a jab. It was a great timing on the jab and the positioning was perfect uh to actually drop him but still it's like figure it out he, he seems like a guy that can take an overhand from like anyone and then a jab drops him. it's just it, it, it causes question right hands from pantoja like they were nothing and then yeah you, you see a guy like that get dropped by a jab and it is cause for concern even if as you say it's like the perfect jab and sometimes the perfect yeah. jab just drops you but then in the third fight the fact that he gets hit by a lot of clean fucking shots shows you that it's not just his chin like his chin maybe is regressed but his chin's still good so the third fight, it seems like most of Figueroa's adjustment is to just be more offensive with the grappling. You know, the classic uh, Henry Cejudo game plan, low kick wrestle. Yeah, kick, so he, he did that game with him. He just was more aggressive with the grappling and the kicks kind of made Moreno less um, wanting to jab and it made it harder for him to enter with uh, takedowns. It was a lot more uh, linear kicking from Fig that I don't think we'd really seen as much from him before. That too. Yeah, he's uh, just overall quite annoying uh anti-wrestler with anti-wrestling tactics in the third fight that paid off a lot and also punishing the jab with low kicks uh, making sure that he actually is able to get power off and then kind of keep his burst shorter because in the first fight he would fuck up moreno really badly and then he would just stay in the exchange and moreno would counter back with some all right shots so like he would still lose, he would still win the exchange, but he was taking damage that he didn't really take um, attrition-wise in the third fight. Moreno also had some tactical uh, lapses in judgment, like he wasn't going to the left high kick as much as he should have been. Yeah, which is a move that he has always favored. Um, that seems like it's it really good for stopping a, a puncher. Yeah, seems like it seems like the the thing to do against a guy who's just a lot of the time is just looking to sling a big right hand at your face. And throwing low kicks at you, it'll keep your leg out of the line of, uh, like, out of the position to be kicked. Um, uh, it seemed like Moreno just really wanted to just stay in boxing exchanges with Fig in that fight. Like, it also didn't seem like he, uh, uh, you know, again, uh, Figueredo made adjustments to kind of make it harder for Moreno, but it didn't seem like Moreno was that uh, insistent about pushing a grappling threat that had been such a key part of his success in all of the fights that they had had up to that point. So... Given all of that, I'm still really not what sure what to expect out out of this fourth fight. Yeah, it's it's strange because both fighters have made uh, very intelligent reads and adjustments to 
to progress the trilogy and progress through each fight, but each has also made some pretty weird tactical judgments. Even Figueredo in the third fight wasn't perfect. Like he was, uh, he was a little too confident in his range whenever he shouldn't have been in certain situations. And Moreno actually was able to put power on uh, Figueredo at certain points. Like in the first round, he gets his leg kicked out from under him and blasts uh, Figueredo in the chin while he's on one leg. So Moreno, who's not traditionally the biggest hitter, was enabled to hit Figueredo even harder than he normally is able to because uh, Figueredo's new offense doesn't have the same kind of defense attached to it that his normal offense does. Yeah, I think he had just gotten a lot of confidence in exchanges from the second fight. That too. Yeah, he he, he really sat down on things more. Fuck this guy up with a jab. I think the fact that Moreno's most recent fight, he won by body kick. And, and also the fact that he's had a tune-up since their last fight. I mean, I use tune-up lightly because uh, Kaikar France is a very good fighter, but it's it functionally a tune-up. A guy he had beaten before, and uh, he was coming off of fighting Figueredo three times, like fighting Kaikar France after that's a pretty light touch, even though Kaikar uh, France did pretty well. So he won by body kick, so I'm kind of just inclined to believe he's going to be throwing the left kick a lot more in this fight, which he should be. The left kick is pretty much like the single tactical read on the feet that opens up half his offense it takes away the ability to freely low kick every time he jabs because you can like faith the jab and tap a left high kick or blast left high kick if he wants to and it also it came into play during all the figurato fights but he just didn't commit to it as much as he probably should have uh as like a staple of his strategy because like, it, it's just a really good tactic against most of uh the type of things that moreno's uh boxing offense offers like if you're it's just kind of puzzling if he doesn't go to the left high kick in this fight and i think also figueredo needs to double down on the low kicks because it's it's just the correct strategy like low kicks and the occasional body lock if moreno really tries to extend an exchange it's kind of all he would need to shut down most of what moreno wants to do especially since moreno was seemingly getting cracked on the chin a lot uh to a lot more efficacy in the third fight than he was in the previous two. I think the fights took a lot out of both guys physically. I think Moreno's chin might be the most transformed out of it, though. He's, his chin's still great, but he, he's been getting hit by lesser and lesser shots as the trilogy's progressed. Yeah, and he like actually got dropped in the third fight, which he, he's always been hilariously durable, and it seems like... The sum of that is catching up to him because he has always been someone who'll just stay in exchanges and just lean on his chin because he just loves to bang. Like, Moreno has, like, as soon as he lands, like, two or three clean jabs, he has the most, like, pronounced let's bang posture I've ever seen. Yeah, he, he, like, gets the feelers out and he's like, okay, yep, it's banging time, let's fucking go. I want to. I want to get some boxing highlights real quick. I was watching some fucking Julio Cesar Chavez highlights earlier. Let's fucking do this. That's mostly all I have to say about the fight. I think I'm gonna predict a, a no contest because they've got to get a different kind of one that they can add to. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, like I, I just don't see there's a way that either. It just seems like a curse at this point. It seems a little bit like there was something up with Fig in the second fight, and he kind of made most of the adjustments that he needs to make the fight more winnable for him in that third fight. Um, because, like, a huge part of who's actually been able to consistently, like, con- control these fights and win rounds has been who's actually been able to stand their ground. That was a huge part of 
um, Moreno's success coming into that second fight was him just not allowing Fig to move backwards and having things that that were going to let him negate pressure. Hair trigger counter-punching and takedowns, you know, Fig's like, okay, but what if I low kick and wrestle? (laughs) And it kind of worked for him. So feels like at this point that it's Moreno's turn to uh, respond with adjustments and I'm just not sure like what what layer he has to go to at this point also the whole thing with his, his like camp situation yeah that's a weird intangible that we could try and talk about some but it it just doesn't really matter I mean I'm not going to try and analyze it but yeah it's just worth noting to have like that that kind of thing go on in you know in your gym affect your training situation essentially essentially while you're uh while you're in camp for a title fight yeah and also if moreno wins this fight i'm gonna retcon that uh the third fight he only lost because kraus gave him a bad game plan intentionally so that he could you just bet the house on fig if i had to pick a genuine result for the fight that isn't uh just adding another one to the quadrilogy i think it would be either a a Moreno finish with strikes, a Figueredo finish with strikes, or a draw. I think there genuinely could be another, like an actual draw in this fight. I I would not be surprised at all if uh, Moreno wins like three rounds at some like throughout the fight, and uh, Fig just drops him really fucking hard and like beats the shit out of him for one of the rounds, and then has another round where he kind of edges it on low kicks. I'm not sure which rounds those would be. I think maybe it would be like a fifth round Moreno gets like like pasted. I think if Figueredo has that type of round at any point before then, he would just get the finish. But I think the the likelihood of someone getting submitted is actually kind of low, despite both of them being, uh, if anything, more submission artists than they are knockout artists. Yeah, kind of. Like Figueredo, he's about equal, cause, but he has, like, he has really good submission finishes. Uh, where he, he just kind of like strangles someone really fucking hard, and he's a really good reactive submission threat. Whereas Moreno is more just get your back, like kind of beat you down, eventually get the an RNC type submission threat. Yeah, I think I'm going to pick Moreno, probably because Fig has given us more reason to think that he might just fall off at any point, and because Moreno has had a fight since then and like did all of the things that he needed to and and won emphatically and we just haven't had any data on fig since and if moreno is just able to respond to just being low kicked and wrestled in ways that like tactically we've seen him be able to then you know similarly what 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 layer does fig have to have to go to from that oh he's just gonna have a bunch of fucking dumb exchanges the whole time because neither guy wants to get pushed back but they've both kind of figured each other out (laughs) i don't i don't know in a strange way i also think it's uh, one of the rare whoever goes forward loses fights. Only if the other one won't get pushed back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if Moreno goes forward too much, he might just get clanged by counters or get uh, like body locked and kind of stalled. Uh, whereas if you give, like if you have Fig going forward, he's probably going to get some good offense off, but also he's more tri- more takedownable. Uh, the new term takedownable, and also you know. Moreno is is no slouch as a counterpuncher either. He can get good offense off, and it kind of works into his offense if he can start uh, leading you around with the jab. Like he, he, I think he's better at as a mid range exchanger. I think both guys are, but in a way, 
the the matchup just really favors Figueredo if they are having mid range exchanges. So neither guy is just gonna let uh their opponent kind of get their preferred range. So it's just gonna get forced into either Figueredo trying to come forward or Moreno feeling like he needs to go forward. We've talked about it a bunch. I still don't know what this fight's gonna look like. It, this is probably the fight we've talked about more than any other fight combined. Uh, <laughs> like to, like to each other. Because we've talked about it fucking four times now. Yeah, I've seen everything that happens. What combination of it is going to happen this time? <laughs> yeah, it's now a yearly occurrence. Hey, let's watch fucking Figueredo Moreno and, and see who's going to win this one. I think my actual pick is going to be draw. Because I can just see it so clearly and it seems like both guys kind of have enough defensive reads to where they're going to make it to a decision with each other. Uh, and also, Figueredo isn't going to be, you know... I think we might get kind of a championship performance in quotes uh, by Figueredo where he slows the pace a little bit down and Moreno kind of tries to just be I really technical. definitely not do that. I think if, 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 I agree. I think he should try and push I his advantages. on him to do that, I think he would definitely, you know, <laughs> and that was the thing. You, you remember b- before the second fight when he was like, I really like Kamaru Usman. He's so technical. I need to fight more like Kamaru Usman. <laughs> Yeah, that that's it's like not a great look, uh, admittedly. But I don't know. I, I very much could see the fight just being maybe the slowest pace of all their fights. I don't think it's going to be in between. I don't think it's going to be like on par with any of the other fights. I think it's either going to be one of their crazier ones uh, because they're both just trying to fucking seal the deal and, and decide who wins, or we're gonna have just a kind of bland fight where eventually like someone gets dropped maybe and then a decision gets read and it's a draw okay so gilbert burns is fighting neil magny um yeah i don't know what's going on there well i mean neil magny can't just be the gatekeeper forever eventually he beats enough of these guys they've got to give him an actual contenders fight and these are traditionally the fights where he gets absolutely wiped off of the face of the fucking planet and just goes back to doing what Neil Magny does. Gilbert Burns theoretically kind of fits just about everything that you would want out of uh, like someone to to just annihilate Neil Magny because you know Neil Magny's thing is he's nine feet tall and he's got a really annoying jab and then. People crash into him because they overthrow trying to get past his jab. And then they feel him in the clinch and they're like, oh, this guy's not strong. And then suddenly they realize that he, he's got his head under their chin and he's just standing up and he's just wrenching them around with his, his weird long boy arms. And suddenly they're, they're exhausted and they're getting beaten up. And then he starts taking you down and he's out jabbing you. And you just you lose to Neil Magny. It happens every time. Um but then, um, thing is, he hates being low kicked. He doesn't have good defense or ring craft, and I, he doesn't really have very good takedown defense either. So yeah, I, I think this is a about as bad of a matchup for Neil Magny, Magny as you can yeah, get. Like because Gilbert Burns, great athlete. Very explosive, fast, strong as well. Um, 
Typically, he thought of as a jiu-jitsu guy, actually a very strong wrestler and top position player. Like, that was his kind of bread and butter, even as a jiu-jitsu competitor. He will... He's good at punching around arms and has great timing on counters and really fucking hard low kicks. He low kicks hard. Against a guy who hates getting overhanded by people short of him in low kicks. He can clang tall guys with overhands and... If they end up in the clinch, he should just be able to throw Neil Magny on his head and then probably submit him with the quickness. Yeah, and even if Magny uh, can negate the grappling, I don't think it's like that useful for him. I think Magny's best opportunity to win would be if the fight was five rounds, and even then, it would he would still have to wade through fire to get to those fourth and fifth rounds where he might have to or might be able to leverage a cardio advantage. Because Gilbert gets tired, but he also fights well when he's tired still. The only fight he fought badly once he got tired was the Usman fight, and it seemed like he he had mentally had kind of a strange performance there because he was also getting fucked up by jabs and fighting so when he knows that that's probably the dynamic that they they had whenever they were sparring, where it would be Gilbert kind of beats the shit out of him early whenever he's fresh, and then he gets really tired, and then Usman just wrestles. I mean, Usman said that's exactly what happened when they used to train together. Yeah, so I'm sh- I'm sure as soon as like Gil like dinged Usman early and didn't get the finish, he was just spiraling in his mind of like, oh no, I know what happens now. <laughs> oh no, I'm gonna get fucking finished. God damn it. But yeah, but that's the thing. Like Neil Magny being able to be a pace bully re- kind of relies on him just boxcar homering Gilbert Burns because, as I've said, Gil just has all of the things that Neil Magny just hates. The like he's he's built a very tricky game for himself that's going to beat a lot of welterweights in the UFC. Um, but then there's like certain people who have like specific combinations of just certain technical tools and athletic traits that just kind of expose all of the gaps between what Neil Magny is able to do. Um, and you see this when, even though he's able to have dominant performances over Robbie Lawler, Li Jing, Liang, uh, Daniel Rodriguez, but lots of good fighters. You see him against RDA or Lorenz Larkin or Shavkat Rachmanov and just and just nothing works and he just gets fucking pasted instantly. Yeah, Neil Magny hates fighting like dynamic people yeah. that, that could just fuck you up really quickly in any phase. Like looking at his record now, Dan Rodriguez, he's a little too mid-pace to reliably get a finish or, or even a win. And mostly just a boxer and n- not a crazy athlete in any way. He actually has the disadvantage when grappling. Um, Shavkat Ravranov, who he he will fucking murder you uh, on the feet or grappling. He's very proficient in either position. Max Griffin, a little too well-rounded to have a consistently good performance over... Um, Magni, and then Jeff Neal. Jeff Neal is a head kick, and he's a powerful puncher, but uh, grappling-wise, he's not really an offensive threat, and he doesn't really have anything in the clinch he can offer to to do damage. Uh, So, just like his shot selection doesn't really lean well into hurting Neal Magni, because he's like several inches shorter and also just a yeah, high if kick he had guy. Just low kicked. There would have been so there could have been so much room for him in that matchup. Yeah, and then, and then you look at the Michael Kessa fight. Michael Kessa is just a fucking good grappler. So everyone he fights, like it's almost like at this point, Neil Magny is one of the most reliable people to pick his fights. Uh, the, one of the only ones that's even surprised me 
that he's had is the Li Jingliang one, and even then, in hindsight, it's not that surprising. Yeah, and like you know, Max Griffin is athletic and came in with good ideas, but Max Griffin will take his eye off the ball. Yeah, Gilbert Burns has just enough in common with guys like RDA and Lorenz Larkin that I'm just like, yeah, you should... In Pontanibio, I think that's oh, probably yes. the closest one. Yeah, it's just like, he is going to he's going to kick Neil Magny's leg. He's probably going to take him down with a low kick and then just get into side control and then just like arm triangle him. Yeah, the in practice, Gilbert Burns and RDA fight nothing alike, but the fight could be kind of similar to it where... Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I just described. Yeah, the striking's really comfortable and easy for Gilbert, and then he gets a single takedown and the fight's over. Okay, so in like an actual mismatch, uh, Jessica Andrade is fighting Lauren Murphy. That's it. Okay, next fight. We have Paul Craig versus Johnny Walker. I mean, I mean, Jessica Andrade is, is, is going to annihilate Lauren Murphy, right? Yeah, I mean, like, the body punches are going to be rough. Uh, Lauren Murphy's liable to just get, like, overhead slammed onto her face. Uh, Lauren Murphy doesn't have the same cardio, doesn't have the same strength, doesn't even really have a size advantage. Like, Lauren, Lauren Murphy fought at bantamweight at one point, but she's a, she's a good-sized 125-er, and Jessica Andrade it just has a strength advantage where she can bounce from 115 to 135 and still outstrength like half for competition at minimum yeah lauren murphy has been getting by on like she can box a little bit and she can do a takedown and she's like mostly a one-two merchant yeah and she's like pretty strong for women's flyweight but jessica andrade is strong yeah and they don't even have they're probably not even gonna enter exchanges where they get to go strength for strength uh, like maybe Lauren Murphy can bench press more than Jessica Andrade, but she certainly isn't functionally stronger. Like if someone's getting lifted, it's Andrade lifting Murphy overhead. Yeah, and I think it's more likely that Andrade is just gonna like walk Lauren Murphy into the fence and then punch her in the body and then punch her in the head. Like I can just see like the just like the Cynthia Calvillo stoppage, just like exactly again. Yeah, I like Lauren Murphy. This is just unfair matchmaking me it doesn't make sense uh lauren murphy it, she got into fighting pretty late in life and she's not the the type of athlete that's just gonna randomly be able to oh i can do a left hook at 39 she's a top five women's flyweight she's tough as fuck I'll, I'll give her that she's tough she tries really hard but also you know she she kind of <laughs> If I remember correctly, uh, she won like three robberies on her way to a title shot. The Joanne Calderwood fight, uh, or Joanne Wood fight, just a literal robbery. The Roxanne Modafferi fight, that one makes sense. The Andrea Lee fight, an actual robbery. She had a good showing in her last fight. Certainly. Um, but against Misha Tate. It was definitely the best, the best her boxing has, has ever looked. That was, that was Misha Tate. Yeah, it being against Misha Tate undercuts it a lot because Misha Tate looked pretty fucking bad in that fight too. I mean, it was still Lauren Murphy looking her best, but uh, certainly it's not. It's not going to be enough. Uh, I think she's she's going to get beaten up. Yeah. Also, I want to point out. I guessed her her age exactly. She's thirty nine. Uh, but she she's not going to show up with some sort of offensive tool that's just going to be able to kind of make the matchup work even because there's nothing she could really learn she could get like a ramrod jab but her jab's only gonna go so fast and jessica Andrade can like slip a jab and then blast her right overhand 
No, I mean, at this point, at best, she's going to look like a slightly more classy and technically refined version of the stuff that she's already been doing, and there's still going to be diminishing returns on that. And Jessica Andrade is just one of the most imposing physical forces in the women's divisions and actually like uh, like, like a pretty good striker at this point. Yeah, and getting better at kind of everything as, as she's gone on. Her striking seemed regressed in her last fight, but it, it really could just be a function of her planning for the fight, like maybe doing a lot less striking, and then her immediately going over and submitting her opponent the second they clinch up. Yeah, that's the thing. She has the kind of athleticism that even this deep into a into a career, she's gonna be like, "I'm just gonna do new stuff." Yeah, like what if she, she just does like a, a body kicking performance this fight? She could. I wouldn't be like, I'd be surprised, but I I wouldn't be shocked. I don't particularly expect her to ever get like actually good at wrestling. She doesn't really have a reason to be, um, unless she fights maybe like Tatiana Suarez. Well, I mean, if she wanted to beat Valentina Shevchenko, then she'd have to yeah. not suddenly be <laughs> suddenly be like, oh, this person's as strong as me and she can actually wrestle. Fuck. Then again, Valentina could just like win on the feet, so it's just like kind of an inert, uh, well, yeah. like an inert thing to do. Because then she would have to get so good at wrestling that she can actually beat Valentina with wrestling. Uh, and she would just get fucking check hooked over and over. But it, I don't know. It, this fight has so little to actually talk about that we ended up just talking about just Gondrage for a few minutes. Yeah, well, I mean, what do you do other than talk about talk, talk about the fighters? This is who Lauren Murphy is, and this is who Jessica Andrade is. Jessica Andrade is going to knock her out. Yeah, Jessica Andrade is going to win in, I think, the first round. It could and be the second round. Maybe second. <laughs> I would be more surprised than I've ever been surprised before if Lauren Murphy even manages to make it to a decision. Yeah, I, I can't can't see this going three rounds. This, this is absolute slaughter. Okay, cool. Paul Craig is fighting Johnny Walker. This fight is incredible. And uh, Paul Craig is going to win. <laughs> Paul Craig doesn't have a great chin. He has been incredibly knocked out several times by just explosive dynamo guys. You know, Alonzo Manifield isn't very good. Hits hard, though. He's very hard. Uh, I think Khalil Roundtree was particularly refined kickboxer back when he knocked Paul Craig out. He just hits very hard. Um... Johnny Walker, uh, wacky violence guy turned jujitsu guy. He's been at SBG for a while now because of just a series of incredibly just strange career turns. We've talked about this before, and SBG is uh, it's like a jujitsu gym. We know like. And kind of realized this after he submitted Ewan Kutalaba. We were looking at that fight going, okay, Johnny Walker needs to, he needs a return to form and he needs to just knock Ewan Kutalaba the fuck out. Then he, he, he suplexed Ewan Kutalaba and choked him out. So he's going to do jujitsu with Paul Craig and he's going to get triangled. Yeah, I wouldn't be like particularly surprised though if, uh, if if Walker just does an explosive thing on the feet and and gets a knockout, I mean, he should. He should. But also, Paul Craig, he can do like a nice like connection with a one-two. I could see him actually hurting Johnny Walker because Johnny Walker, he he has a pretty bad chin. I think his chin is worse than Paul Craig's. I think he's just uh, more likely to actually land hard than Paul Craig is. So I mean, Paul Craig dinged Volkanuzdemir. Yeah, if if it goes to the ground, though, I'm going to pick 
uh, Paul Craig like super confidently, and I think it's very likely to go to the ground at some point. It's gonna go to the ground because because also Johnny Walker's like a fucking wacky, flayable, and flaying arm tube guy. He fights in an incredibly strange way, and it's likely to just just kind of fall over uh, uh, given even the kind of like slightest disruption of balance. Like he really should just like run up to Paul Craig and flying knee him. Because it'd probably just work. So you know, this is totally exactly the kind of matchup where Paul Craig just gets just gets slept by a wacky athletic guy who isn't very good. I maybe disagree. I think that the type of hitter that knocks out Paul Craig one, it was a long time ago. No, and it was a long time ago, and he got finished by guys like Menafield. It wasn't that long ago that he got knocked out by Menafield. It was 2019, but it was many fights ago. I, I think that uh, his chin probably hasn't gotten better. I think he just is better at taking hit now. No, he didn't get knocked out by Vulcan Uzdemir. No, he did not. And he hasn't really been knocked out by a guy that's, you know, like a, a lanky, dynamic, like flying knee or do a fucking spinning back fist type dude. He gets knocked out by people that are more dense and just fucking hit hard. And and can like blast you really hard. I think of uh, just the type of power that knocks out Paul Craig traditionally is different than the type that uh, Johnny Walker had. It's fair. But also, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets knocked out by like an overhead elbow on the feet, maybe. Yeah, or just something weird like when Johnny Walker fought uh, Ryan Span. Yeah, like, like, <laughs> it's just, like it's just it's just light heavyweight, and just just things like this can just happen. Yeah. Also, Paul Craig got. Uh, he, his last competition was a submission grappling match where he got finished by an esteema lock by a guy on topology that it says is 5'7". Uh, sick? Yeah, it's just kind of funny. Shogun's fighting a dude. Yeah, what is your analysis on this one? Well, I don't know who the dude Shogun's fighting is. I don't, uh, I've heard he's not very good. But, um... I believe he is significantly younger than Shogun. He is 26, and he's really fucking athletic. Oh, he's going to win. Or, or maybe not really fucking athletic, just really athletic, you know. He, he is a good enough athlete that I think he is going to absolutely wipe out uh, <laughs> his opponent. Like, I mean, it's Shogun. Just absolutely geriatric. Guys like hurting his leg, doing hacky sack backstage. There's a video of that from, from like, a, a couple days ago. Like, he's he's literally been shot for, like, ten years. There's no reason to pick Shogun in a fight in 2023. Just sad. But I believe this is his retirement fight either way, so, I don't know, good for him. Um, this card has kind of had a couple of cancellations that have left it a little bit thinner. You know, Gregory Rodriguez was supposed to be fighting Brad Tavares. Tiago Moises was supposed to be fighting Guram Kutataladze. Uh, they're both just fighting, like, debuting guys who they presumably should wipe out now. Uh, you know, always love to see Gregory Rodriguez put someone in a box. Sure, Although, fun. something interesting is his opponent is uh, is 9-0, and he has All knockouts. Uh, five knockouts in the first, or seven knockouts in the first round. Oh yeah, from what I've heard, this, this guy is gonna come to bang with Hobo Cop, but th you know that's how you know he's gonna lose. <laughs> yeah, he has five knockouts in the, in the first round, and then he has uh, finished in the second round, twelve seconds in, and he has uh, 
Like, like the, the guy's decent, so I think Hobocop might actually just fucking take him down, like choke him from the back. Seems like that's always a live option in a, a fight where a guy has to rely on knocking out Gregory Rodriguez. I mean, it's always a thing that he might do, but you know, uh, his you boxing can... looks so slick recently. So. Yeah, this is what I mean. Trying to knock out Gregory Rodriguez is a dangerous game. <laughs> Like um, I believe it has happened at certain points in his career, but he's he's been making a name for himself as like the Charles Oliveira of middleweight recently. He's just like I'll just get into a war with everyone and simply win. Shamil Abdurakimov is fighting Jailton Almeida. Man, we got some good squash matches for Brazilians on this one. Like Shamil's going to get thrown into space. Yeah, yeah, it's probably not going to be close at all. Jailton Almeida's cool though. Every, you you always got to always got to show up for this guy. Muni Lazez is fighting Gabriel Bonfim. Uh, Bonfim has a lot of submissions on his record, and Muni Lazez has a kind of fun striking style, but he's not particularly good. He, he more just seems talented in a very aimless way. So that should just be like a fun fight to, to keep an eye out for. Yeah, and then the, the, that dude's brother is fighting Terence McKenney. Yep. Maybe Terence McKenney will knock a guy out in the first three minutes of the fight, or he won't. Yeah, the guy's never been knocked out. His his only loss is to Hanato Moicano in 2014. Or actually, no, not his only loss. He has two other losses that are in 2011, uh, and you don't even see the methods. So it was like his first three fights. It basically doesn't count. Okay, that seems to be most of the fights that the the really uh yeah Worley Alves Nicholas Dalby's already jumping out at us for now. It's okay. Well, Nicholas Dalby's probably going to win on being as consistent and grindy, and Worley Alves might do something dynamic. And it might finish the fight. If it doesn't, he'll probably get tired and lose a decision. Yeah, and there's several fighters that are fighting people making their debut. Uh, Cody Stamen is fighting someone that has not fought in the UFC before. So just should be ridiculous ex- experience differential there. I mean, Cody Stamen's, uh, he's had a bit of a rough run, but mostly against very good fighters. I would generally expect him to win unless this guy is really fucking talented. Uh, you know, Josiane Nunez probably going to deck Zara Fern. That should be fun. Oh yeah. So if you enjoyed this content and all the other great stuff that the fight site puts out, Please consider supporting us on Patreon or a pledge of just $5 gains access to a huge library of really high-quality analytical fight content and a Discord server full of really cool, interesting fight fans from different backgrounds. It's fun to talk to. Um, I was having good discussions, getting together in the VC and watching fights. You can talk to staff, ask us questions. Always a good time. This has been the Forbidden Technique podcast. You can catch us next week. Where, as well as uh, recapping any cool shit that happens on UFC 283, we'll be taking a look at UFC Fight Night, Derek Lewis versus Sergey Spivak. Well, thank God we got that one back together. And the rest of the card is just as good. We'll see you then. Peace. <laughs>